So my husband Tim and I recently sold our house here in Snowmass Village. After 16 years of living here, we've moved down to the banana belt of basalt. So uh, just so you know, the weather's about the same down there this morning as it is here. So I don't know, August is probably not a good marker. But you know, the house that we sold up here, as many of you can relate to, when you live in some place for a long time, it's a very special place. It's, it can be hard to let go of. We planted everything in the flower gardens. We planted all the sod, laid all the sod ourselves in the backyard. I remember our neighbor, when we did so, his 12-year-old son said, Dad, why are they doing that? Why don't they just hire somebody? <laughs> Good question. Um, but, you know, we lived there a long time. All three of our kids were raised there. Our daughter was in kindergarten when we moved in, and she's the youngest. So this was the home they know, their childhood home. And a lot happened there in 16 years. Nearly every day, I prayed over the house. I had this chair that would sat kind of in a corner of a sunny spot in the living room. And I can remember, not that long ago, it's been two months, but I remember sitting in the chair daily, praying for God's blanket of protection over that house. I envisioned a blanket literally sort of falling from heaven and just wrapping us in it. I prayed for the health of my kids and our family. I prayed for our marriage. That little chair had a lot of prayers in it. I prayed for everybody who entered the house, who visited us. I do the same thing, by the way, when I'm flying. My friends always say they want to fly with me because I pray for the entire plane. I envision God's hands lifting us up and over to our destination and back down again. So this house had a lot of love. It was well-loved, but we were still willing to sell. Why? Because it was never about the house. Our treasure wasn't the house. It wasn't the furniture in it. It wasn't the rooms we remodeled. Now, I know you know this because you all have moved a time or two in your lives, I'm sure. When you move, you purge. You have three different piles, you know, the give, the keep, the toss, those three piles. And there are certain things that you just kind of go, no, 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 nobody touch that. Okay, that stays. That's going with us wherever we go. So I want to show you, this is, uh, this is one of those things that just had to stay. <laughs> this is a tyke bike from at least 25 years ago. I think we bought it before our son Nick was born, and he's going to be 26 here in a couple of weeks. You know, this thing, it's got like the ribbon, the strings are all off. This seat my husband clearly made after the first one fell off, so it's like PVC pipe attached to a melamine seat that he kind of uh, found to put it back together. But all three kids rode this tyke bike. We cannot part with this. It hangs in a special spot in the garage. So, you know, that, that had to stay. And let me show you another thing that had to stay. This, um, in our family, Tim kind of just randomly came up with this motto. He would occasionally say to the kids whenever he was working on something, you know, you got to have the right tool. And pretty soon that became the family motto to the point where Tim would say to them when they were little, what's the family motto? And they'd go, have the right tool. <laughs> so Ben, for Father's Day, 
made this. It's, uh, if you can see it back there, it's really dirty now because it hangs above Tim's workshop bench. It says, have the right tool, Dad. And it's got his little drawings that are faded now of a wrench and a saw and a hammer. So that was not going anywhere. That stays with us. This is a little something my daughter made. Um, you can't see it probably from where you are. It looks like a little trinket. It's probably, you know, worth absolutely nothing. Someone would have thrown it away if I hadn't stopped them. It's made out of clay and it has my name and she painstakingly cut each letter and then painted it with um, watercolors that says Sharla. And there's something about it, I think the fact that it didn't say mom. It was like she saw me, you know, woman to woman in third grade or whatever it was. And I didn't know what to do with it, so I put it in my bathroom, and it just sits there. And if, if, if I hadn't grabbed it, I am quite certain somebody would have thrown that away. So these are a few of the treasures. There's also a, a big pine hutch. It's actually a pie hutch. It's got little circles in it that, to let your pies breathe. Now, I can tell you I make pie about once a year, but that's beside the point. I love this cabinet because it's the very first thing Tim and I ever bought when we got married our first piece of furniture. So that's going with us. So I know that you know what I'm talking about. These are the treasures, the little things that we just cannot let go of. And I know that you have something special in your possession, that the, the thought of losing it just breaks your heart. Or maybe you've already lost it. Maybe a fire took it, or you misplaced it, somebody stole it. Maybe you still think there's hope of finding it one day, and there's this longing and this waiting and wishing that you had it back. Or maybe you know that it's gone forever, and you're filled with disappointment or even grief over having lost that thing that you treasured. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. But then there's this verse that just sort of haunts me. So we, we do what we're supposed to. We purge our houses when we move. We give unnecessary things away. We try to declutter. We make room for only the most important things, the priceless treasures in our lives. And still, Jesus says, uh-uh, sell it. Don't keep that. Sell your possessions. Verse 33 this morning says, sell all your possessions. And in fact, any time that Jesus calls followers in the Bible, he says, leave everything behind and follow me. Jesus is constantly telling people this. In the Gospel of Matthew, the rich young man asks him, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me. And what happens? The rich man goes away despondent. It's too hard. Another place Jesus says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. He also says, your life does not consist of your possessions. In another place in the Bible, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. 
He also says, leave your mother and your father, your husband, your brother, your sister. Follow me. He says, if you don't renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Sell your possessions. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I sat at my kitchen table in my new home that looks out over the mountains and the valley below, I sipped a cup of coffee that I had bought while I was on vacation with my family in New Mexico, typing on one of my two computers, once in a while looking down at my iPhone to check my text messages. This was not exactly what I wanted to read. So I wrestled with it. What is God saying to me, to us, 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words? Does he really mean for us to sell all our possessions, everything we have? Maybe. Maybe he does. Maybe some of us are called to that. And maybe it's also true that God will call each of us to sell whatever it is that is weighing us down and preventing us from truly following. For the disciples to whom Jesus was speaking to that day, indeed, I believe he meant sell everything because they were on a mission. Jesus called them to travel by foot, north, south, east, west, all over the land. There were no cars, no airplanes. There were no RVs or buses for the bus tour to sleep comfortably in. There was no YouTube or Twitter to get the message out in other ways. The disciples were called to go door to door, sometimes boat by boat if they were lucky, never knowing where the next meal would come from, where the next bed would be, but always trusting that it would come. And so, yes, anything they owned would have been an encumbrance to them. It would have prevented them from doing the work they were called to do. It's hard to have a mortgage and be called to walk on foot somewhere. It's hard to take care of a family when you're called to be gone 365 days a year. These things would have weighed them down and impeded their progress. Sell all your possessions, Jesus said. So, what is encumbering you? We live in a society today, and I know you know this, we're in the wealthiest nation in the world, and we cannot begin to count all of our possessions. We have things in closets and attics and basements. When we run out of room there, we move them into boxes in our garage. We have things tucked away in boxes that we haven't even opened in years. Trust me, I found a few. And still we acquire more. Do you know that the storage space industry is the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing industries in the United States? Despite the recession, despite the tiny house movement, we spend on average $91 a month so that somebody else can store our junk. I mean our treasure. <laughs> so maybe you are encumbered by, of all things, the American dream. 
And it's also very possible that you and I are encumbered by other kinds of possessions, not material things, but things like holding a grudge, things like gossip, manipulation, anger, anxiety, jealousy, fear of never being enough, fear of never having enough. So what weighs you down? What are you holding on to that might be preventing God from leading you where you need to be? The theologian and author Howard Thurman had this to say in such poetic fashion in the 1950s in his book called Deep is the Hunger. He wrote this, I must relax my hold on everything that dulls my sense of God, that comes between me and the inner awareness of God's presence pervading my life and glorifying all the common waves with wonderful wonder. Teach me, O oh God, how to free myself of dearest possessions so that in my trust I shall find restored to me all I need to walk in thy path and to fulfill thy will. Free myself of my dearest possessions. Why? Not religious punishment, not piety, not to show your godly devotion, not to make yourself more worthy because God has already made you worthy in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit which lives and dwells in you. So no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to sell anything in order to be right with God. Sell all your possessions, gives, give alms to the poor is more of an invitation. Jesus is inviting us to unencumber ourselves in order to walk freely with God. Free me of my dearest possessions so that in my trust in you, I will find all I need. One author that I love talks about how she re-examined her life in light of all of Jesus' teachings. And rather than feeling trapped or scared or guilty or fearful or begrudged by what it means to follow Jesus, she felt one thing, liberated. She said, when I imagined what it would be like to stop judging people once and for all, to give up my grudges and learn to diffuse hatred, to care for the poor and seek out the downtrodden, to finally believe that stuff can't make me happy, to give up my urge to gossip and manipulate, to worry less about what people think, to refuse to retaliate no matter the cost, to be capable of forgiving to the point of death, to live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved. She wrote, that is liberating. So Jesus invites us to reframe what it means to follow him. 
He invites us to be free from worry, bitterness, self-righteousness, prejudice, selfishness, materialism, misplaced loyalties. Jesus is bringing salvation from all of that, which is sin. But first, we might have to let go of some of the things we possess. And it may even be the thing that we treasure the most. You see, something happens when we are willing to let go of it all, even, and maybe most importantly, that that we hold most dear. Because in doing so, we make room for the Holy Spirit. We empty ourselves, we ready ourselves and make room so that we can hear and see the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So as I near the end here, I want to go back to the beginning. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth in the scripture this morning are these. Do not be afraid, my little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then this is his immediate next sentence. Sell your possessions. Give alms to the poor. Make for yourself an unfailing treasure in heaven. Do not be afraid, but do make a choice. We can lay up our treasure on earth or in heaven, but not both. Either our own advancement or the advancement of the kingdom. Either material earthly goods or heavenly treasure either our own concerns or God's. Jesus is making the invitation right here this morning to put God first. And guess what? You still might have treasures. You still might advance your career or your life goals. You might, and I dare say you probably will, still have material earthly goods. But accepting the invitation means that you will have emptied yourself, freed yourself of your possessions, both material and immaterial, in order to receive something far greater. Selling our possessions is about reducing our reliance on money and things and actions and behaviors and people so that we can more fully rely on God. And my hope is that we can then turn our treasure into a guiding force for good in the world. If you lay your treasure in heaven, that is, if you place the totality of your faith in God and God's ways, no thief will ever steal it. It will never tarnish or wear out. You have an invitation right now to be part of God's kingdom where love and wisdom and joy abide. And do not be afraid because it is God's good pleasure to give it to you. So let us pray.